think I'm going to start asking the instrumentalists playing the offertory hymn, offertory music, to give that to the sound and people and the screen people before the service, so they can have it ready just in case. I'd love to have sung "Only Your Mercy, Only Your Grace" right now, and but it's not ready, so we won't. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I, that's just a future wish of mine. Okay. All right. It's just, it, it's just so thrilling to see how the worship service flows to get us to the point where we need to be to hear the Word of God. Now, everything we've done is not preparatory. I hope you don't see it as preparatory. Everything we've done is worship. And, and we're not stopping worship now so that we can hear a sermon, but, but worship is continuing as we as we focus upon God's truth and God's word and hear from Him. And that's the important part. From, from beginning to end, this is worship. You know, a lot of times I think we look at, and we typically do about the same thing every Sunday. We, we come in, and I've got the order of worship here, so I don't know what we do. We sing a song, sing a hymn after an opening call to worship. And, and after we do that, we, hear, we do a responsive reading of the word. And then we sing again. And then we'll have prayer, and today it happened that my prayer also included a reading from the Word. And then we had a, a hearing of the Word where Pastor Ricky read from Ephesians chapter 2, and, and then we, we will look at the Word here together. We sang intermittently with all that. We prayed between all that. Everything we do is to get our hearts and our minds focused on what is important in this place today. It's not me, and it, it's not the choir or the instrumentalist and it's not those who stand up here on this this platform the 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 important thing is is that we get our hearts and our minds focused on God and his goodness and his grace and we sang about amazing grace we sang about grace that is greater than all our sin and that's what Paul is talking about in this text this morning that we're going to concentrate on but sometimes I think we just forget why we do what we do it becomes so rote now I'm not one that likes just say let's switch everything up for the sake of switching everything up we do switch some things up now and again but but there is something about the familiarity of what we do that if we will keep it fresh in our hearts and our minds we'll keep it fresh before our eyes we we won't lose sight of why we're here it won't just become oh another day to be in church because that's what we do on Sunday morning will be a commitment to coming into this place and saying, Lord God, I'm here and I'm needy. I'm here and I need you. I'm here, O oh Lord, and I need to hear a word from you. I'm hurting or maybe I'm happy. Maybe everything's going great. But we need to be focused again and reminded again that even when things are going great, we need him and we need our attention on him. So may that be what we're reminded of today as we, we spent time in this time of worship. Turn your Bibles, in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, as we come to what I think is going to be the last cha- uh, sermon in this, uh, in this chapter. I'm going to be gone two weeks. Something may hit my head again before then, and I'll go back to it. But I think this is going to be... A, the last one in chapter 5, because I want to get to chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the Sunday that I come back. And the Sunday I come back, I'm excited, on the 12th, uh, we'll be, uh, that that will, is that right, we'll have the Lord's Supper that Sunday? Is that the third Sunday? 
or the second, yes, third Sunday. So we'll have the Lord's Supper together. We will celebrate around the table and we'll tear really the continuation of the sermon today because Paul comes back on this same topic. But here, Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, and we're going to focus on 20 and 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, that can be a very confusing statement. We'll look at that in just a second. For as by one, the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more, so that, in order that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we've already said throughout this passage, throughout this chapter, indeed this whole book, one of Paul's favorite phrases is to remind us over and over and over again that everything he's saying is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not through our own goodness, our own religion, our own morality. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so he says that phrase over and over again. And we must, we must accept the fact that when Paul says it that much, then it must be important. It must be something that we ought to pay close attention to and be reminded of over and over because he's reminding us of that. And so understand when he says that it, righteousness lead, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord is the verse by which we understand verse 18. Because many people looked at verse 18 and said as, as by one trespass it led to con condemnation for all men and that one tra trespass was Adam's sin and Eve's sin in the garden. Through their disobedience to God, sin entered the human race, and all men were infected by that because all men are in Adam in their birth. We are, as, as Lewis had Aslan calling uh, the children in Narnia, he said, sons of Adam and sons of Eve. You know, they're, they're, that's where we are. That's who we are. We're sons of our original parents. And so Paul says very clearly, I want you to understand, one trespass, one disobedience, one sin led to the condemnation for all men. And then he says, so one act of righteousness, that is Christ's death on the cross and resurrection, leads to justification in life for all men. Now some have taken that and said, well, that's good. Everybody's saved. Every man, every woman, every person that ever lived are, are sinners in, in Adam. And now that Christ has come, every, every man, every woman, every young person is now righteous in Christ. That is not what Paul is wanting to communicate. Paul is communicating that all men who are in Adam are condemned, and that's every one of us. He's dealt clearly that our purpose is to be in union with Christ and to be in Christ. And every believer, every man, every woman who is in Christ is, is in union with Christ. And every one of those, every single one of them, all men that are in Christ, all women that are in Christ, will be saved. Will be made righteous. There's a difference of position here. There's a difference of relationship here. That you are changed when God's grace touches your life and you trust in Jesus Christ. 
Not an automatic thing that because Adam sinned and sin came into the world and Jesus was righteous and gave himself as a sacrifice and a substitute that because of that we're all made righteous. Everybody, the atheist and the, and the pagan and, and, and everybody else, we're just all made righteous and we'll all be there in the end. Some believe that today. But they're far afield of what the Word of God has to say. Paul goes on to elaborate in verse 19. He says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And, and Paul is not trying to compare numbers here. He's not saying, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have so many that are disobedient and, and, and there's going to be an equal number, a greater number, whatever. We don't know what the number is that are going to be made righteous. But he is saying, I want you to understand, Christ's obedience to God's will and God's purpose will be made righteous, those who have trust in Jesus Christ, those who place their faith in Christ. In Christ. In the family of Christ. Adopted by Christ into the family of God through Christ, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, as Paul would state. That, that's such an important concept for us to grasp. And until we grasp that, we're not really ready to move on in this book of Romans, until we see that and understand that clearly, that there has been a gracious and great work done by God through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, understand, many are going to be made righteous. Many are going to be made clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Many are going to have God and Christ's righteousness imputed to them. And if you're in Christ, that's where you stand today. If you're not in Christ, if you're not a believer, then you stand in Adam. And condemnation and sin are your way of life. It may sound like a bold assertion, but I want to make it anyway. But I think that these next two verses, verses 20 and 21, uh, really can be seen as a summary of everything Paul's been saying up to this point. I think they are key to understanding the gospel. They, they really are, are a summary of salvation that has come to man through Jesus Christ. They're a, they're a summary of the gospel message. And, and we want to see that in these, second, in these last two verses, 20 and 21. Paul starts out by saying, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Don't miss that. We've already seen in chapter 3 that Paul said, No man is saved by the law. No man can come to God and be righteous by the law. It's just not a possibility, Paul says. But here he gives a little different angle on it, but he's saying basically the same thing. He said, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Wait a minute, Paul. I thought the law came so I could look at the law, be diligent to obey the law, and be a good person, and I can be made right with God by keeping the law. I thought the law was given. I thought the law came in in order that I might be able to be made right with God by keeping the law. Paul says, no. The law came to increase the trespass. Sin. The law came to increase the sin. What does he mean by that? Well, one thing he means by it, it increases our understanding, it increases our vision of it, it increases our seeing the, the, the sin that is there. But I think it also means it came and it caused sin to abound all the more. I remember, some of you have heard me tell this story, but I remember when I was six years old, 
about the only thing I remember that far back, I'll be honest with you. I remember something happened when I was six years old. My dad was, we, we raised uh, English setter bird dogs, and we were building a pen with our English setters, and we were, we were putting a foundation in the wire, so the wire went down into concrete that went about a foot deep in the, in the ground, and, and we were doing this, and I was out helping dad, six years old. And about all I could do to help him was turn on the concrete mixer and turn off the concrete mixer. That was about it. But I was there doing that. And, and as I was doing that, my dad said, as we got out there that particular morning, he said, now, now Billy, that's what he called me then. Uh, you don't have permission to do that. But, uh, but he said, now, Billy, whatever you do, when you are over here around this concrete mixer, do not touch that belt right there. I, I don't, you, know, you can turn it off and on. You can put stuff in it if I ask you to. But, but don't touch that belt. Oh, yeah, Dad, Sure. Dad was over on the other side of the pen doing some stuff, digging stuff out, and he, he yelled over at me, and he said, Hey, Billy, turn off the concrete mixer. So I ran over there, and I hit the switch, and I turned it off, and I'm watching that belt just go round and round, and it's starting to slow down. I said, Well, it's slowed down now. I can probably touch it. And I did with my little finger. Just touched it. And somehow my little finger stuck on it, yanked it around, and you can still see the results of it today. It cut off the end of my little finger. I put it behind my back, and I went back around to Dad, and I guess he could see I was kind of flush and maybe red, or I don't know what I looked like, but he said, what'd you do? I didn't do anything. Why you got your hand behind your back? Oh, I just got it back there. Well, well, well let me see your hand. Okay. I pulled it out, and as I pulled it out, the tip of that finger just flopped off, and blood squirted up. And me, who had been so quiet, so bold, so calm, screamed bloody murder. Went to the hospital, got it sewed up. The rest is history. You can view it if you'd like to as you go out today. But my point is this. I really never thought about touching that belt. It was not in my mind, not in my plans. I, I didn't think that belt was anything special. But when Dad laid down the law, when he gave the law, thou shalt not touch that belt, I had to touch it. I, I didn't care. I didn't care what it took. I didn't care what it did. I had to touch it. When God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, you know, we, we ought to be able to say, well, that, that's, that ought to be self-evident. The God, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer of all the world, why would we want any other gods before him? But when we hear that, we think, but, but what about me? I can't be my own God. I can't have my own idols. I can't do my own thing. No, I, I, I just want to do that. When we hear him say, thou shalt not steal, we want to say, well, you know, we never thought about stealing, but, you know, maybe just this year, just this one time on my taxes, I can fudge a little bit, and surely that's not really stealing. When the law says, thou shalt not, thou shalt usually do it. Uh, with my kids, I saw them touch hot Barbecue grills, after being told not to, I saw them do all sorts of things. It's almost like when the law is given, the sin is going to increase, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying here. The law was given to show us this. You can't keep the law. The law was given to show us that sin abounds where the law is given. That, that sin is such a thing that, that it feeds off the law in such a way that we find ourselves captive of it. We find ourselves slaves to it. And so Paul says, 
the, the law came to increase the trespass. That is really dark and bad news. That's dark. The law's given. The law's good. The law is right. The law is holy. And yet the law increases the trespass. It increases the sin. Paul says next, but, but. I love the way Paul does this. He, he always paints the dark side and then he stops and he says, but, and with that word he induces the wondrous, glorious gospel. The, the grace of God, he, he opens up. He, he says, look, this is how bad it is, but, just like what Pastor Ricky read earlier out of Ephesians, you know, we were once dead in our trespasses and, gain, uh, and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive together in Christ Jesus. But, uh, one author that I was reading, um, it's got to be careful here, but he said we, when, when, when we come to this, we need to watch Paul's butts. It can be almost misunderstood. Paul uses but over and over and over again to show us the glorious gospel of grace. And that's what he does here. He says, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. The law increased it. We, we see the sin. We acknowledge the we, we should acknowledge the sin, but we see it compared to the law. We want it all the more. We sin all the more. But Paul says, where, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, the title of this sermon is, is His Mercy is More. We sing a song by that title. We sang about mercy tree this morning. We sing about amazing grace. We sing about grace that is greater than our sin. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what Paul is wanting us to understand and understand clearly here. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now next week, or two weeks from today as we get into chapter 6, you'll see Paul kind of clarifying that a bit, if you will. Because I have a feeling there were, a lot of, there were two different groups that that stood before Paul and heard Paul saying this or read Paul writing this, having written this, and, and they had two different reactions to it. First were the, the legalists. And, and they said, well, wait a minute. If you say where sin increased, grace abounds all the more, why, you're just giving people a, 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 a pass to sin. You're saying, well, if God's grace is greater than sin always and, and they give some kind of lip service to Christ, then then all they got to do is say, I believe in Jesus, and go out and sin all they want to because the more they can sin, the better God's grace will be in their life. And so they became antinomian. They said, hey, we don't have anything to do with the law. We don't even look at the law. We just want to go out and sin to, our, to the hilt so that we can know God's grace to the hilt. And they said, you're, you're just giving excuse here. To, to sin, you're giving excuse to people to be able to say, well, I'm in Christ, so I will just go out and sin. That is, a, that is a misunderstanding of what Paul is talking about here. The legalist and the antinomian misunderstand. The legalist says, no, Paul, you've got to keep us within the, you've got to keep pounding on the law. The law is what shows us sin, and it does. And the antinomian who says, oh, no law, no sin, we just, or no law so it doesn't 
judge our sin. We just go out and do what we want because God's grace is ultimately going to win out. Paul's going to tell us in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6, you missed the boat if you're looking at that either way. When Paul says God's grace abounds all the more because of our sin, and when our sin increases, His grace is greater than our sin, He wants to see that there's a magnificent, glorious work that takes place in the life of the believer. He wants to, he uses the word, he uses the word abounding in verse 20. He says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There's a, there's a superlative idea there. It's not just that, it's not just that grace and, and God's grace kind of merely brings an exact balance to the scales. We've got our sin on one side and grace on the other side, and, and grace balances it out and gives us a, gives us a little help. It's that grace overcomes. He says the abounding grace does much more than the sin and the law ever could. It brings about change. And again, along with through, our Lord, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we know that Paul's other favorite phrase in chapter 5 is that two little words, much more. In, in verse 9, he says in verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. He says in verse 10, uh, as he's talking about that same thing, for while, if, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Much more. Then he says down in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. Wow. In verse 17, we looked at last week also, he said, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Much more. It abounds. It overcomes. The emphasis Paul is wanting to make with his use of abounding and much more is that God's grace is superlative. It's super joyous. It's super edifying. It's super cleansing. It, it's super life-giving. It is super grace-abounding. I mean, going and on. But the point that Paul wants to make, that this much more, this abounding, it is his abundant grace, his astonishing grace, his amazing grace, his grace that is greater than our sin, and that will, give us, will, will impute to us his righteousness, that we might live in righteousness. Now understand, there's a, there's a big distinction here between imputed righteousness and being made righteous. We are not yet made righteous. I wish we were. I would rather have that. Because we, we, when we are made righteous, when we stand before His throne, 
when we are made righteous, we will be like him in totality. There'll be no sin. There'll be no evil thoughts. There'll be no evil desires. And there'll be no evil actions because there are no evil thoughts or evil desires. We will be like him, standing glorified in purity and in righteousness and in holiness. So, so when Paul says this, we, we recognize that, that there is yet a work to be fully done. We're not made righteous. We are imputed with righteousness. It's added to our account. It, it clothes us. And God sees us in the righteousness of Christ if we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a place of standing. It's a place of forgiveness. But, it, but it's even more than just forgiveness. It's qualifying us to be received by Him when we die. It's qualifying us to be a part of the family of God. And that, great, uh, that righteousness that comes by grace, that, that righteousness is an active righteousness, that while it is imputed righteousness, it is a growing righteousness and a purifying righteousness that takes place in our life. And righteousness is so important that the Apostle Paul said, listen, when he's talking about spiritual warfare, he said, when you start getting ready to do spiritual battle, the first piece of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. His imputed righteousness that is making a difference in our life every day to bring us into the likeness of Christ. Will you sin? Yes. Will you stumble and fall? Yes. Will you be happy in that sin and that stumbling and falling? Absolutely not. Because this righteousness that, God's give, that God gives is a redeeming righteousness that gives us a desire for His holiness. Gives us a desire, gives us a want for His holiness. You know, Martin Luther, we've talked about him during the course of Romans and last year in the Rep. 500th year of the Reformation, but, but Martin Luther was honestly a very miserable man. He, he hated the righteousness of God, although he was a monk. He, he, he thought the righteousness of God was just condemning to him, and he, he just wanted no part of it. And he, he sat in his little cell in his monastery, and he, he would beat himself up, and he would do harm to his body so that he could maybe think God was would understand that he really did hate himself and hated his sin and, and, and he'd do all sorts of things that, that we would find strange. I'm looking forward to seeing a few of those places next week or two. But Luther was a miserable man until he understood and saw the truth about justification by faith. Imputed righteousness by God's grace through faith. He was a miserable man in the monastery. He had not yet married his wife because he was in a monastery. Can't do that. She was in a nunnery somewhere. Didn't even know each other at that time, I don't think. But he was a miserable man until he understood the truth of justification by faith and Christ imputed righteousness to us. When he understood that, 
when he came to understand, or I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, a, it is the gospel of, uh, I'm not afraid of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Uh, it, and if the righteousness of God is made known, when he, when he came to realize that great truth and what it meant, he not only became joyful, you know what he started to do? Started to sing. Started to sing. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard any of the... I mean, he literally started to sing. I, I don't know if you've heard any of the music of the, of the monasteries of, of the, uh, the 1400s or so and, and the time of, of Luther. I, I don't know if you've heard the 1500s. I don't know if you've heard that or not, but it's, it's pretty dark. It, it's kind of dull and negative and it wails and has a monotone chant to it. When, when Luther wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He, he chose that, the tune, the tune was chosen to go with that, that, that was uplifting and, and upbeat and had a, had a familiarity to the people. And he began to sing. I, I honestly think, and I don't mean to pick on anybody here, so I'm not talking, I didn't look around to see who was singing this morning or not, but I'm I'm convinced that when we understand justification by faith and we understand what being imputed with the righteousness of Christ means and we understand what grace is that is abounding grace that's greater than our sin and always will be greater than our sin, when that happens, we sing. I don't care if we can carry a tune or not. You know, my, I sing in the key of flat. And, uh, I mean, I just, I, I don't know what, you know, you don't have to be an angelic voice. But when that great truth captivates your heart and captivates your life, it just explodes with singing. It did with Luther, and it will with you and me. Because the understanding of God's grace and justification by faith in Christ alone sets our hearts free. Sets our hearts free. Free to the things I prayed about this morning. Just free to be what he's called us to be. Free to minister to one another. Free to love one another. Free to share the gospel with one another. Free to welcome new folks into our, our fellowship and say, we're glad you're here. Not because we're good people, but because, man, we're struggling people, but we know, we're people who know the grace of God and justification by faith alone, not by our good works. Paul says, so that, verse 21, his grace is greater than our sin, his, his, his grace abounds where sin increases and, and all those things. Why? So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. Jesus Christ our Lord. It's what he's been building toward this whole sermon. Or excuse me, whole letter. What I've been building to this whole sermon. Is that in a man or woman's life who comes to faith in Christ, when they, when they know the grace of God and the grace of God is present in their life, then that grace brings about the reign through righteousness of grace in your life. And that leads to eternal life. Eternal life is not just something that happens when you die. But eternal life that begins right now in that moment 
when, you, when, when as the song said, we, we, we put our faith in Christ, at that moment, eternal life begins, and it's life in Christ. Yeah, it's life in community. It's life in covenant with one another. We emphasize that. That's important. But the real important thing is, it's life in Christ. And it, that grace reigns in the life of a believer. It reaches out to others all around. I think here's the big question that, that we need to ask ourselves. And just play like you and I are in a room all by ourselves. I mean, this is the question we have to ask as we close this chapter. Number one, or just one. Have we as Christians realized that we should, indeed we must realize, how sin once reigned in us? As Christians, have we realized just how much sin reigned in our life when we were in Adam? And consequently, have we now realized how free we have been set by the grace of God in that we are in Christ? Not freedom to sin, but freedom to do what God has called us to do. Not freedom to say, now I'm forgiven, so, and every sin I'm going to ever commit, God's going to forgive. By the way, that's true. And some in Paul's day are going to say, Paul, are you saying that we don't have to worry about sin anymore? He'll deal with that next time. The truth is, Paul is wanting us to see that we were, we were captivated by sin, and under the authority and the control of Satan in Adam. The trouble with us human beings, and our, just by nature, us human creatures, is not simply that we do things that we should not do, but that we are under the domination of sin and Satan in Adam. What God's wondrous grace has done is not only to enable us to, to live a better life, but it's to set us free in Christ Jesus. We're no longer under sin. We're no longer under the dominion of sin or Satan. We are free to follow Christ in obedience. That, that hymn, we, we sometimes attach my chains are gone to amazing grace. I'm glad we didn't today. I, I like singing the, the traditional way today, but we had, you know, my chains fell off. And I was set free, and, and, and that's based on the, the great hymn, you know, of, uh, of Wesley, uh, And Can It Be, when he says, you know, I, a light filled my, filled my cell and, and my grave, and I, I looked up, and, and because of that quickening light, I came to life, my chains fell off, and I went forth and followed thee. When the grace of God impacts your life, you are set free to obey Christ like you never could under the law. That is so vital. 
that we see the major exchange that took place in our salvation, in our justification, the, the major exchange that took place at the cross when He took our sin upon Himself, but He imputed to us His righteousness. It was not just a matter of, okay, I'm going to add Jesus to my life. Oh, I'll still love my pleasures, and I'll still love my sin, and I'll still love not obeying God, but I'm going to add Jesus, and that'll make everything all right. It does not. Christianity is not adding Jesus to your life. Christianity is being transformed by the presence of Christ in your life. It's being made new. Being made new. Completely new. Totally new. See your chains fall off. To see you rise and follow him. Let's pray.